You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I know there are so many other places that you could spend your Sunday morning. I know it's always a temptation when it's raining to just stay in bed. So I really appreciate you guys getting up and giving me the opportunity to speak to you guys today. Um, I received a text from J.D. and Alini about two weeks ago as I was sitting in LaGuardia about to head to Ohio for a business trip. And they asked me if I would be willing to speak. It was at that moment that my heart started racing and my mind started going a thousand miles an hour thinking of all the things that I could talk to you guys about. Um, The stewardess called everybody to their seats and I walked to the window seat and I, I took my seat and I looked out the window and this was before the time changed, so it was about 5.30, right around when the sunset was um, happening. We ascended over New York City and I experienced and saw the most beautiful sunset that I have ever laid eyes on. You should have seen the colors and and I love sunsets if you just check out my Instagram page that's flooded with them. (laughs) But this sunset was so special. It was turquoise and pink and purple. It was as if the plane was flying into the most welcoming fire. I sat there for what felt like eternity, but it was probably about 45 minutes just soaking up the beautiful sunset that I felt that God had gifted me with. The Holy Spirit put a word on my heart in that moment, and he said, Elena, I know something even more beautiful than this. A moment in history when all the wrong of the world and all the wrong of humanity was atoned for. A moment when my sin Your sin, all sin, was wiped clean. You see, God has placed an immovable symbol in history. And I'm not just talking about the cross, the pieces of wood that Jesus died on. I am talking about the beautiful cross that is a symbol of our Savior risen from the dead. You see, God is someone who stirs in us beauty. And God has placed that same symbol not just in the middle of history, but in the middle of every person's story. For every sin before the cross and every sin at the cross, every sin in this room and every sin for all eternity, the cross is the only place we can go to get what we need. My question for you this morning is, can you see that beauty? Can you pick the window seat on the airplane look out the window and see the beauty that God has graced us with. I'm going to open us up in a quick prayer because I'm no preacher. Um, I actually work for a medical software company, so I need all the grace I can get. All right. Holy Spirit, Lord, thank you so much for bringing us into this room. Ooh, baby, calm my nerves. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, that the Holy Spirit would just take me over, Lord. I pray that our eyes would be open and that we could see the beauty of the cross. Jesus' holy name. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was invited to a summer camp through the ministry of Young Life. 
For those of you guys who do not know Young Life, yes, Chris. For those of you guys who do not know Young Life, it is amazing. It is a parachurch ministry that places college students and local community in high schools in the area. And the whole goal of Young Life is to introduce adolescents to the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is mostly for kids who didn't grow up in the church, people who didn't have a background, and they make Jesus fun and exciting. Now, I saw the summer camp flyer, and it promised that I would have the best week of my life. And I said, okay. And honestly, I signed up because there was water slides on the flyer, um, cute guys, and a lot of food. So I was like, count me in, and I begged my dad to have the money to go to the summer camp. So fast forward to June, um, going into my sophomore year of high school, I was 15 years old, and, and I would have considered myself a Christian at that time. I had grown up kind of in the church. My mom had worked at a nursery, um, a church nursery, which, hilarious, I'm the Connect Kids director. I know Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But there I was, um, thinking that I was a Christian. I thought I knew what sin was. I thought I knew what the cross was. And I would have checked the box that said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I'm white. I'm American. I grew up middle class. Of course I'm a Christian. But my eyes had not seen the beauty of the cross at this point. Little did I know that that promise to have the best week of my life would actually be fulfilled. Fast forward to the, one of the last nights of camp, and we have a speaker who would teach us every night, a room of hundreds of high schoolers, which, whew, bless that man. But he spoke to that group of high schoolers every night, and he explained the progression of the gospel. On one of the last nights, I was sitting there thinking I knew it all. I think at one point I even interrupted my leader when she was trying to teach the rest of the high schoolers, proclaiming that I knew it better than her. So there's that for you. And I was sitting in that room in the auditorium, and the speaker started to talk about sin. And I thought that I knew what sin was. I thought that I understood that it was bad deeds and you should avoid it. And if you're really sinful, you go to jail and you're punished and you go to hell forever. So I thought that I had this down packed. What I didn't know is that sin is so much bigger than that. The speaker explained to me that sin is like an iceberg. So what you can see above the water, just the tip, just those actions, the wrongdoings, the evil things, that's just the start of it. That below the surface is something so much greater, and it's in our hearts. In the beginning of time when God created the world and we chose to turn our backs on God, it entered our hearts. That no longer were we able to just do good things to be right with God, but we had a sin nature in our heart. It's like a disease that we couldn't get rid of. And as a 15-year-old high schooler trying to be as cool as I could be, this really got to me. I was thinking in my head, no way. I get straight A's. I'm on the track team. I'm on the dance team. I volunteer. I even sometimes read my Bible on Christmas and Easter. And I thought, there's no way that that's true. But then there was another part of me that said, this makes sense. This is why no matter how many good things I do, no, how, no matter how much I try, I still feel separated from God doing it on my own. No matter how much I try to climb the spiritual ladder, I just keep getting knocked down because I mess up, because we're human and we mess up. The speaker went on to explain what Jesus did to rectify this. 
he explained that God is so holy, he's so perfect, he's all light. And we, turning our backs on God, are dirty and we're messed up. The best way I can explain this is that God is like a pure, clean glass of spring water. And we are like a murky glass of water from the creek. No matter how much dirt we have in that cup, we still have dirt in the cup. And God, clear and holy and wonderful, cannot mix. He cannot have an intimate relationship with his people if they're dirty. So what did God do to save us? The speaker went on to explain the cross. The speaker explained that God, up here, and us, down here, the only way to bridge that gap was to send his perfect and holy son so that we could have a relationship with him, so that distance between us was no longer there. So that when God looked at us, he didn't see this murky glass of disgusting dirtiness, but instead he saw a clear, beautiful glass, a fresh, sweet glass of water, thanks to Jesus. I was sitting there. Imagine me, know-it-all Elena, which my husband will say I still am, but I beg to differ. Know-it-all Elena sitting there as a 15-year-old trying so hard not to let this affect me. Do you guys know that feeling when your throat is like really like dry and you're trying not to cry because you're in public and it hurts to swallow? That's, that's where I was at that moment. And I was looking around, oh, there's cute boys looking at me and I'm trying not to cry. And here I was just completely wrecked. The speaker then dismissed us and he said, guys, we're going to have awesome fun. We're going to do like a sock hop and an ice cream sundae. After you go back to your cabins and you talk to your leaders for a little bit about what we discussed tonight, I'm like, okay, Elena, pull it together, pull it together. You knew this. This isn't a surprise to you. The other side of me was like, oh yeah, this was a surprise. I was completely wrecked. I think for the entire 45 minutes of the cabin time, I bawled. I don't even think I heard a single word that my leader said because I was devastated, but not in a way that I felt bad for Jesus or I felt like sad that he had to go to the cross to fix my sin. No, I felt so in love and so thankful that my eyes had finally been opened to the beauty of Jesus's cross. Now, the Bible defines the word devastating as damage. So when we say a storm devastated a town or your dog devastated your kitchen, <laughs> we know that that means that they did a lot of damage. But in the vernacular, we use this word, two words, devastatingly beautiful, to describe something that moves us, something that breaks us, and something that changes us. That's where I was in this moment. The Bible has a lot of people who are right alongside with me, and they believe that the cross is the most beautiful thing in history. And one of those people is Paul. And today we're going to camp out, and we're going to talk about Paul, and we're going to talk about his favorite people, and we're going to talk about his letters. But I'm going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to tell those of us who aren't biblical scholars or are new or just are getting confused by all the names in the Bible who Paul is. So Paul was born as Saul. That was the name his mother and father gave him, S-A-U-L. And Saul is what we would call a religious terrorist. During Jesus' ministry and after his death, Saul is credited with taking the life of hundreds of Christians. His task was to go into Christians' homes, 
find them and turn them over to the local government so that they could be imprisoned. Saul was not a nice man, and he was known as probably one of the meanest, nastiest outlaws in biblical times. This is probably the last person that I would expect to open their eyes and see the beauty of the cross. But through a series of amazing events, which I encourage you to read, part of the story can be found in Acts, Saul meets Jesus. It's at this point that Saul becomes known as Paul the Apostle. So if you ever hear Saul and Paul, there you go. They're the same person. Paul's just the one that met Jesus. And I think we can all relate to the fact that once we meet Jesus and we want to change, that we want to throw off the old man and start new. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul became so zealous and so in love with the word and so in love with Jesus that he actually was thrown into prison for following the Lord, for preaching the word. It was at this point that he wrote a series of letters to some of the churches that he had helped start after he became a Christian. Today, we're going to talk about one of those, but I do want to jump into Galatians really quickly. In Galatians 4, 6, I think we have the verse on the screen for you, or 6, 14, Paul is credited with saying this, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So here's a man sitting in jail. He has every reason to go back to being a hater of Christianity. He has every reason to close his eyes and not see the beauty of the cross. But instead, he's saying, I can only boast in that cross. I love that cross, and my life is hinged on that cross. Paul decided to write these series of letters to encourage his followers, to encourage the followers of Jesus in those churches that he had started. And one of those churches is the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is a region in Greece, and it was where where Paul started one of the first churches. And what we can find in the Bible today, the book of Ephesians, is essentially just Paul's letter to the people of Ephesus. In actuality, Ephesians is how to be a Christian through practice and through faith, but that's where we're going to camp out today. Because I believe that Paul gives us the tools and the reasons that he believes, and he prays for us as well, that our eyes can be open to see the beauty of the cross. Now, I, like I said, not a preacher. I come from a medical software company where I give presentations. So I'm going to have three points for you guys on why I believe that the cross is the most beautiful thing in history. And if you're taking notes, this first one is my favorite. I say the word favorite a lot, but I don't say it lightly. This one is my favorite. Paul and the Bible teach that the cross is the most beautiful thing in history because the cross is the only thing that can raise people from the dead. I'm going to say that again because for those of you who aren't Christians or for those of you who are new, this sounds really extreme, but hang with me. The cross is the only thing that can raise people from the dead. In Ephesians, verse two, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes this to the people of Ephesus. He says, as for you, us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Woo, that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, 15-year-old Elena sitting there did not want to swallow that pill. I thought, yeah, I'm not dead. I'm not good. The thing is, is that sin separates us from God. And here's the thing. 
the gospel does not tell us that sin makes us a bad person. The gospel tells us that sin makes us dead, that sin separates us from God. And that's, that's different, that's different. And here's the thing, dead people can't do anything. <laughs> no amount of good deed, no amount of religious works, no amount of anything matters if you are spiritually dead. Jesus did not leave his throne in heaven, set foot on planet earth to make bad people good. He left the glory of heaven to step into the manger of earth so that he could bring dead people out of the grave back into an everlasting life with Jesus. Don't get that confused. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. With Christ in our hearts, we are no longer dead. After we die in this world, that's not it for us. That is not it for us. Thanks to Jesus and thanks to that beautiful cross, we get to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. To go on further, Paul proves his point in Ephesians 2, verse 3 through 5, and he says this. He says, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Ooh, that's, ooh, that's hard. But, I love that word, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Ooh, but what a glorious word, what a glorious word. When we could not help ourselves, when we tried to climb that spiritual ladder, God did not leave us hanging. He loved us so much and he wanted that intimate relationship with us that he sent his son Jesus to bridge that gap. And because of that, I'm going to say this. We are walking in joy. We are walking in satisfaction. We are walking in true love. And we are walking into a community where we really care about each other. Where when what we say out of our hearts matters. Where our lives matter. Paul is not a man of I'm just going to make a point and move on. Later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5 verse 14, he puts the cherry on top of this point And he says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, I'm going to speak for J.D. and Alini for a second. This church exists for a reason. Where you are sitting is an answer to a prayer. This church exists because the majority of Stanford, the majority of your community, your friends, your family, your coworkers are asleep. This church exists so that we can introduce you to Jesus and bring you into an eternal life. And no, your friends are not taking a nap. We, as Christians, are here to wake them up from the grave and bring them into the light and life of Jesus. And the cross is the only thing that can do that. The cross is the only thing that can bring the dead to life. If any part of you wants this, if any part of you feels a connection to this, then you are invited to see the devastatingly beautiful cross. Reason number two, that the cross is the most beautiful thing in history. The cross cancels shame and guilt. Paul proves this in Ephesians 3 verses 16 through 19 when he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, get this, just how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The takeaway here is we are meant to walk through life on full. We are not meant to walk through life on empty. The enemy is going to try to to deceive you. He's going to say, okay, yeah, Jesus came. He, He wants your shame and guilt, but just give him some of it. Just carry the rest with you because you don't deserve what Jesus did to you. You are not good enough. The enemy is going to say that to you. But let me tell you this. God did not put on flesh to come to earth to die on the cross so that we could have some of him. God came so that we could have all of him, so that we are filled with the measure of God, so that we can throw off that shame and that guilt, and we can run to the finish line with Jesus alongside of us. We're not going to look at the scripture, but in chapter 5, Paul, a man of many words, goes on to further explain what it looks like when we throw off that shame and that guilt. He tells us that when we decide to open our eyes and see the beauty of the cross, that we have heavenly DNA in us. We no longer just look like our earthly mother and father, but we look like our heavenly father, Jesus. And when we have our heavenly father, Jesus, we can't carry that weight and that shame and that guilt. As an observer, I see people walk through life feeling unworthy, not good enough, not enough, off the radar. And I've heard people recently say, if I weren't here, no one would care. I was using the restroom before service started and someone had written on the bathroom wall back there, why can't I just die? Oh Lord, that broke my heart. And for those of you who are close to me or who have heard me speak before, you know that this this issue is close to my heart that this issue claimed the life of my father. But guys, there is a devastatingly beautiful cross standing in your story. He turned your death into life, your sin into sainthood, and you are loved by him today. No man is ever going to trump that. No success, nothing is ever going to trump what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you are waiting right now, if you are looking down at your phone and you are waiting for a text message from a significant other, an email from your boss, if you are waiting for someone else's approval, stop. Look up. Look at the beautiful cross. Look at that cross. And when you do that, when you just try to grasp just how long, just how wide, just how deep is the love of Christ, your worth will no longer be measured by your actions, but it will be measured by Jesus Christ. What if you left today saying that you will never walk again feeling unworthy because of what Jesus did? What if you just tried to grasp that height, that depth, that love? Your worth, ladies and gentlemen, is not measured by your actions. That shame and that guilt is meant to be thrown off and we are meant to be sprinting to the finish line to spend our time with Jesus in eternity. Reason three, I promise I won't keep you here too long today. Reason three, the cross is the most beautiful thing in history because the cross ends one story and starts another. The story that ended is the story of the victim. 
Here's the thing. You read the Bible, you read the gospel, it looks like there's a victim. Jesus, the perfect, perfect son of God, all holy, never sinned. And you know what? I don't buy the lie that Jesus does not understand because he didn't live in 2017. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, and he chose to never sin. He was perfect, yet he was hated. He was unjustly accused, and eventually he went to the cross and was crucified. But wait, (laughs) he is not a victim. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And you know what? He has the scars to prove it. When Thomas, one of his closest disciples, saw him later after he rose from the dead, he actually put his hands in the holes in Jesus' arms. Jesus is not a victim meant to be felt sorry for. Jesus is a victor. I know we all have wounds. Trust me, I have plenty of my own. I'm not saying that Christianity makes us wound-free and every time we scrape our knee, we don't feel it because Jesus feels it. That's, that's, That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that the story of the victim ended at the cross and the story of the victor is beginning. In Christ and in Christ alone, you are not a victim anymore. You have joined Christ in the victory parade. When he stepped into victory and rose from the dead, you too stepped into victory. When Christ died and he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us, he didn't just send some Holy Spirit. He didn't send junior Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead and sent him into everlasting victory. So in conclusion, the power of the gospel is this. You are alive. Your shame and your guilt are canceled because your worth is measured in Christ. And the victim story has ended because in Christ, you are a victor.